When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. He was doing, he had just done God Told Me. But we had to, we had to redo my first interview at the, on the Z Channel. He was oh, running, were you screaming about Megan Nelson? No, no, no. He, was, <laughs> he was running Piranha. Yep. Uh-huh. And uh, it was me and John Davison and Barbara Steele. Barbara Steele. And John wore a piranha head. Right. And they panned over and he spoke as if he was the subject of the movie. He said, was, this is a very personal movie It to was me. very funny. <laughs> and whoever we got the movie from... Well, no, the uh, the it? program director, Hal Kaufman, the late Hal pa- Kaufman, he basically said, you know, if these guys mock the movie for 15 minutes, nobody's going to watch the movie, which, of course, was 180 it's not even degrees remotely wrong. True. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, so he came, he came back, and, and, but Barbara didn't come back. No. And, but and John Bartell didn't come did. back. Paul Bartel came back, and me. And, and, Dick, and, and Dick Miller. Was it Dick Miller? Yeah, yeah okay. Dick Miller. But it wasn't as good. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't as, well, it certainly wasn't as funny. <laughs> do, do you know the uh, Barbara Steele on, on Shivers story about smacking actresses? No. Um, David told me this a thousand years ago. The, uh, I guess the, so the, the actress, the lead actress in Shivers, um, you know, and that was like his I first I forget feature. her name. Yeah. I don't remember her name. She. Well, aside from stereo and crimes of the future. Well, yeah, of course. Feature. Those yeah. massive hits. He was yeah. lucky to get her. The, um, <laughs> she, she came to him and she said, I need you to help me get into a kind of state of hysteria. And you know, you've met David. He's like the nicest. He's very sweet, gentle. Very gentle. And, and he Canadian. said, well, what can I, she said, I need you to slap me. And he was like, oh my God, I can't do this. She's like, please just slap me. So he would do it. And he said, for freaked him out every day. He'd have to go up and he'd have to slap her before a take. And she was fine. She'd go off and do it. And then. You know, halfway through the shoot, Barbara Steele shows up, who I believe was his first kind of name actor he'd ever yeah, dealt with. And she she was, walks on the set, and the first thing she sees <laughs> is the director slapping the leading lady. And she turned around and stormed off. He went to try to talk about when she was in her trailer, and she said, I'm not doing this film. You're a monster. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good story. That's uh, a really good story. But uh, yeah, so are we? I guess are we? Uh, we're gonna start yeah. talking. And, Why not? Uh, well, we've been talking. You're not gonna use any of that stuff. But yeah, this we use gold. all that. Have you listened to the gold. show, Joe? We, but it's libelous. We it's meander libelous. into the thing, and uh, uh, you know, Mick talks about uh, snorting coke off of some hooker's butt. You know we, me so well. That's right. Um, <laughs> but uh, I guess I guess you're listening. You're listening to the movies that made me, the official podcast of Trailers from Heaven. Our guest this week is, uh, I actually wrote all the stuff down, even though I know it, just to make sure I hit the good stuff, but uh, <laughs> filmmaker, novelist, musician, these are all side jobs because his most important gig uh, is he's a podcaster. <laughs> yeah, great. Um, he is the host of the postmodern, sorry, postmortem podcast. Uh, and it's postmodern too. It's it postmodern, postmortem it can be. podcast featuring Mick Garris, uh, who, who we couldn't get, so we got Mick Garris. 
um, who's uh, who's, also, who's also a raconteur. So raconteur, yeah. trailers from hell guru. Well, one, uh, of the, one, of, one of the original. One exactly. of the originals, yes. Um, one of the original masters. Which means Horror. I'm old, I guess. Uh, no, no, nobody's old on this show. Uh, one of the directors of Nightmare radio. Cinema, <laughs> which right. I think you and Joe met doing that film together recently, right? Nightmare Cinema. Well, yeah, Nightmare um, Cinema. And, Coming uh, soon at a theater. And, uh, but also, really, and the reason he's here, and this uh, ties in most to our subject, um, Mick was, uh, we should find one of those photos and put it on the website, uh, the lead singer of a band called Horse Feathers. It's true. And um, uh, Mick's going to talk to us this week about his favorite rock and roll movies. Yeah, I mean, I don't keep a list of favorites, but I, I, I have. Well, we didn't a, ask you to keep one. We asked you to make one, Mick. If you couldn't do the homework, well, it's... I have a group of titles. I wrote them down. <laughs> I wrote two copies, so you'd have one too. But you rejected it. So, but you know, I keep I keep telling people don't don't tell me what you're going to have on your list. We have sort of two rules. Don't tell me what's on the list. And, and don't, don't tell, tell Joe, Joe anything. what the subject is at <laughs> yeah. all. And and Joe always sends me an email a day of going, uh, uh, does I sent him one today. I said, so with Mick's coming, do we have a topic? <laughs> yeah, as though, as though I would forget. Yeah, it's horror movies, obviously. No, no. Yes, I was, we're gonna I was ask, hoping gonna that ask, wouldn't be the topic. Oh, me too. <laughs> Joe, have you listened to our show? <laughs> um, uh, but anyway, Mick, uh, thank yeah. you. Thank you for joining us. Oh, thanks here. for being here. It's nice to be on the other end of the podcast, Mike, <laughs> you know, um, since Joe has been on my show. And it's air-conditioned. Uh, it's we are. mildly air-conditioned. Is it? <laughs> yeah. Mick's is air-conditioned and professional-looking. And no, now we do it at Blumhouse, so we're in their conference room. It's not uh, the old Podcast One studio in Beverly Hills. Oh, okay. But is that, is that even swankier than you? No, it's all no. stiff and formal now. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't have the wild... You know, improvisational feel of his original podcast done in a corner of a building. <laughs> no, that was in a radio studio. That was fancy. Now we're in a conference room at Blumhouse, and you have to turn on the air, turn off the air conditioning when you're rolling <laughs> uh -huh. because it's too noisy. Wow! So the show's over when people start to sweat. That's so, it. Yeah. So. Yeah. We tend to just leave it running. We don't care about background noise too much. <laughs> Don's good at pulling that out. But um, so, Mick, you you uh, you're a, you're a music guy. I was. You a music were? Guy. Come on. Um, once, once in, never Yeah, out. but music is less important to me than it used to be, but it used to be my life. I was a music journalist. In fact, the first movie I was going to talk about was Almost Famous because Cameron Crowe and I were both in high school um, writing for the San Diego Door at the same time. So the first third of that movie is my life, too. Hello. This is the music editor at Rolling Stone magazine. This is William Miller. Yes, it is. I think you should be writing for us. From Cameron Crowe, writer-director of Jerry Maguire. If you're going to be a true journalist, you cannot make friends with the rock stars. Just make us look cool. God, it's going to get ugly, man. They're going to buy you drinks. Don't take drugs! They're going to fly you places for free. It's Bowie! You're going to meet girls. We are not groupies. We don't have intercourse with these guys. Just blowjobs, and that's it. Amen! I was the teenager interviewing Janis Joplin, Ugh. Jimi Hendrix, Rod Stewart, all these people, you know, when I was 15, 16 years old. How, how did that, how does a 15-year-old get to interview Janis Joplin and Jimi Hendrix? You, you know, or you Rod have Stewart. a new, you have a, a, a publication that you're working for, and the San Diego Door was the alternative press in San Diego at the time the San Diego equivalent to the L.A. Oh, see, and they were hiring 15-year-olds. Well, they weren't hiring, hiring anybody. Not, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't make a living writing for alternative press, then or yes. now. 
Um, but, uh, you know, it was, it was my passion. I, I bought albums constantly whenever I could afford it, which wasn't often. But I worked in record stores. I worked at Tower Records in San Diego and then later in Westwood and, and Hollywood. And, and uh, one of the perks of both writing about music and working in record stores is free records oh, yeah. and free concert tickets. So, you know, that was a, a really big deal. I would get passes to, to go see and interview Janis Joplin, Frank Zappa. I mean, mm. I've interviewed a lot of dead rock stars the guys from Badfinger and things like that. And, and so Almost Famous feels really personal to me because that movie starts out at the San Diego door oh. with Cameron Crowe, the character who is representing Cameron Crowe. We both were writing for that same newspaper. So he went on to make much bigger scale movies than me and wrote for Rolling Stone and I wrote for Zoo World. So what? you had a band and he didn't. I, well, he made up for it with Sweetwater and Almost Famous and, uh, <laughs> and wrote the lyrics for those songs. Oh, did he? Okay, that's, I yeah. guess I knew that. That's a long but my long. band was kind of a prog rock, art rock band that was also, unlike the other prog rock bands, and my favorite genre of music then was prog rock, um, you know, with Gentle Giant and Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, and yes. Most of the prog rockers were very pretentious and their lyrics were very lofty and no. spiritual. And no, never stuff. noticed that. Yeah, that, <laughs> never. But we were also comical. So we were very, very funny on stage as well as pretentious. And, and so I'm, I'm guessing the band's name was uh, intentional. It was. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people say, oh, a country rock band, Horse Feathers. No, no, no. Horse Feathers is, first of all, it's slang, another slang for bullshit. But also, of course, the Marx Brothers movie. Which, right. uh, and, and how long? how long did you... Seven years. Seven years. Seven years, all original stuff, mostly complicated. And, uh, you know, we, we wrote rock symphonies and things, but that were also funny. In fact, we composed a piece. Uh, Don McLeod did a mime piece called Satan's Creation. And we scored a 13-minute, it went through like 10 movements and things like that. Don McLeod, of course, was one of the stars of The Howling. Ah. And he was also the Greeble in Amazing mm -hmm. Stories. So he was somebody I introduced to Rob Bottin, who introduced him to Joe. See what a vicious circle. It's, yes, everything <laughs> everything leads back to Joe. And yes, everything does. Uh, well, you've you've compiled the list of of uh, as you say. And you know, it's even better if they're not favorite, just sort of ones you care about. I yeah. Think well, that one is, I, uh, it was such a surprise to see it happen. Sure. And I know it was a very expensive movie, and they spent a lot to market it, and it tanked completely. But it's a great movie. Have you seen both versions? The bootleg. Yeah. It, it, it's. I like them both. I like them both. The The bootleg is a little long. It's, what, two and a half hours or mm -hmm. something? But Cameron's a really good filmmaker and a really good writer. And that movie, the veracity of that film is tremendous. You know, I, I, There aren't a lot of very real rock and roll movies that felt like it really felt at the time. And one of my pet peeves in doing, in seeing rock movies or making period movies is wigs. Mm -hmm. I, hate, I fucking hate wigs on hippies, uh, you know, and rockers and the like. When I did Riding the Boat, it's set in 1969, and I was just convinced I'm not going to put a wig on an actor. I am going to hire an actor who has long period hair. But what do you do if you're yeah. shooting in six weeks and you have the perfect actor and he's got a crew cut? I haven't had to fight that battle yet. Okay. <laughs> so, All right. Uh, I'm sure there are good, believable wigs. 
And maybe I've been fooled in movies, but it rarely happens. Yeah, I feel like, um, well, of course, we wouldn't notice them if they were good, I guess. But there, there, is a, uh, there are a plethora of, of shitty, shitty wigs in, in sort of 60s period pieces, especially. Yeah, well, well, one of my favorite rock and roll movies, and I'll bet neither of you have seen this movie, is My Dinner with Jimmy. I know who you are. I have all yeah. your LPs. <laughs> Little Surfer Girl. Help me, Rhonda. Yeah, we're we're not the Beach Boys. We're the we're, we're the, the Turtles. Yeah, we turtles. we we play our Turtles. I've never seen it. No, it has the worst wigs ever, <laughs> and it only costs like a hundred a hundred thousand dollars. And it was shot in Prague or something. Hmm. It started out as a fifteen minute short. The guy who directed Tape Heads did it, but it was written by Howard Kalin, who was the lead singer of the uh, Turtles. And mm. it's an autobiographical film about this band, the Turtles, and, and it's really the people being played by other actors who they have a big hit, a couple of big hits, and they are on their first trip to England where, where they are introduced to the Beatles in a rock club there. And, and the crux of it is this 15 minutes after the club is closed down and everything and, and uh, uh, Howard Kalin and Jimi Hendrix sit together at a table and just talk for 15 minutes of this. And that's the climax of the movie, but it mm. was originally a self-contained short and it's great. Really? It's, it's great. Well, how what, Where would what one go to find this? It is on video. Um, it's hard to track down, but how, I is have, it recent? Is it old? Is uh, it's a dozen years old. Easily. Mm -hmm. Probably no more than that. Cause it, yes, because it was around the time Howard Kalin is in, he has a cameo in writing the bullet. And one of the reasons was because it was set in 1969, the year of Happy Together. And he's a friend and a huge horror fan. But um, he wrote this script. So it, it had to be around that period, around 2003. 2003, okay. George Wendt is in it. Yes, he is. He plays a manager. But there's a heartbreaking scene where the, the guitarist for the Turtles, when they meet John Lennon, he's an asshole. He's a total asshole. <laughs> And this guitarist, his heart is broken to see his God. He said, I used to love you. And it's really affecting and great. Mm. And you feel that, you know, everyone's heart is broken because Lennon was murdered. And, right. you know, that was, you know, as, as bad as it gets, 1980, December 8th, 1980, I think. It's kind of ingrained a lot like, um, you know, November 22nd, November 22nd 1960. Wasn't it the 8th? I feel it was the 8th. December 8th, 1980. 19, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And uh, so you feel the reality of this. And you've, you've always heard stories about Lenin being so acerbic and biting and all of that stuff. But, but this movie, it's so cheap. And the bad wigs, and despite it all, it's got this huge heart. And it feels so genuine. And, you know... Howard is a really good writer. In addition to being a good songwriter, he's a really good screenwriter, and that's the only thing that has ever been made from, that he's written. And, you know, he's one of the great singers of all time. Yeah. I met Howard and Mark uh, when they did... Um, oh, Alan's movie? Dirty Duck. Oh, yeah, they yes. did all the songs. Yes, and it, was, it was a movie that Roger Corman distributed. It was yes. originally called Cheap. Roger yeah. changed the title because he was afraid people were going to call it Roger Corman's Cheap. <laughs> And so we changed the title. Also, he had a terrible preview. And it was directed by Chuck Swenson, who was a, a 
a very good animator. Murakami Wolf. Yeah. He's animated, right? Yeah. yeah. I remember and uh, and so we had a, we had a bad preview, and um, and so Chuck and I went through the movie and and, and recut it and changed the title to Dirty Duck, but the uh, the songs were all by Flo and Eddie. Yeah, yeah. by Flo and Eddie. Flo and Eddie. And uh, it's 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 a wonderful track. I mean, it's I, I've got I've got the album. I mean, it, it's and, a great. And album. it was one of the first trailers from Hell that Mick Garris did. For <laughs> That's right. Oh wow! Because I had done the trailer also for the movie. Did you go to their Roxy show? It was it was timed with the release in quotes of yes. Dirty Duck? Yes, I was. And there. they they did an amazing no, show. No, no, they were they were really good. Really I just good. it's um uh, I'm I'm assuming you figured this out, but I'm not sitting here taking texts from anyone while I talk to you. I've been looking. <laughs> I had to look up the film, and then I did. It is available used on Amazon for for it's only about ten bucks. So. Dinner with Jimmy. Yeah, uh, it's, you can find it. it it's is a out. wonderful, wow. wonderful movie, and I don't know why it's not streaming anywhere. But hmm. uh, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of good. Movies oh, there's a, you know since Fan TV closed down, um, there is another place where you can find out where anything is streaming called I think Just Play. Mm. It's an app, and, oh. and it will tell you 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 put in all of the uh, all of the services you subscribe to, whether it's HBO or Netflix or Amazon or any of these Filmstruck whatever. Yeah. And it will tell you where you can see just about anything that's streaming. Yeah, the new, uh, the latest version of Apple TV does that too. You just type it in and it tells you which. I'll bet it's not as good as Just Play. Yep. Yeah. Uh, probably not. Yeah, it's um, it's pretty amazing. Which Mick has stock in, of course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I want to buy stock in internet websites. <laughs> it's uh, After fan TV went under. <laughs> yes. Um, cool. No, I'll definitely, I definitely want to check that one out. Yeah. Uh, what, what, uh, give it, give us another one. Well, here. another one that, that I absolutely love is still crazy. Oh God. Yeah. Well, there's only two reasons to get you to haul your ass up here. Either I owe you money or you want to put the barn back together. They were called Strange Fruit. Strange Fruit. Been fruits a long time. So which fruit's which then? Well, I'm Posh Fruit. And they were one of the greatest bands of the 70s. You all hated each other in the end. Oh, it's a bit heavy. That was then. This is now. How's business? Slow. The only thing I have of value is this. What is it? Jimi Hendrix's tooth. So you gave it all up for this. Don't tell me it hasn't haunted you. Money, hit records, they're famous. We bollocks it all over again. I mean, first of all, it's got songs by Jeff Lynne and it's and and the guys from Squeeze, you know, Difford and Tilbrook and the That's like. That's right. And the songs are great, but man, that movie is so good and so funny. Do you know the movie, Joe? No. It's the first time I ever saw Bill Nye. Bill Nye. I was about to say, has he... Okay, Holy now I'm gonna... shit. I'm not 50. I'm not 50. <laughs> it's this aging band who uh, all of them have day jobs. You know, their, their history is behind them, but they have an opportunity to get the band together again and do a tour, you know, of nostalgia type things. And they get booked into the shittiest jobs around the world. It's a British film. And what's yeah. the director's name? Uh, um, he was Brian Garfield. No, Brian. Uh, got me. I'm actually looking at this. No, Bill Nye's been in a million things before that, but that was the one that where was I think one. so many of yeah. us noticed him. Uh, Brian Gibson. Brian Gibson, who um, was married to Lynn Whitfield, who was in a, a pilot that I directed in Australia. And 
Well, I also remember because it had Bruce Robinson is kind of the, isn't he like the 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 elusive kind of center of the band? Yeah, he's kind of the Sid Barrett character. And and he is, you know, Bruce, who writer and director of The Great Withnail and I. Withnail and I, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Um, But. um, That's a great film. It's it's such a good film. And it was such of the time because these, this band bordered on progressive rock. Mm-hmm. Uh, and their show with Stonehenge, they have big plans. It's a big theme album and all this stuff. And, and they accidentally, they designed a Stonehenge set, but they wrote down inches instead of that's feet. That's Spinal Tap. No, that's Spinal Tap. That's right. Okay, I'm getting them confused because they're very similar in style, but They are. It's like Tap. So Crazy is yeah. a, a a more narrative uh, Yeah, it's not scripted a, a and slightly more, I want to say slightly more plausible, but- I mean, we've all heard stories of people who yeah. thought Spinal Tap was a real band. So it's uh, well, and they became one, and they became one. And yeah. you used them in Small Soldiers, yeah. right? Yeah. That's, that's a very, very talented group. Spinal <laughs> Tap is another one of my very favorites. <laughs> sure. I at the time, you know, I was in a band and I had made documentaries and making of stuff, and suddenly here's a documentary, a fake documentary about a band that was sort of a prog rock band and their their theme albums and stuff. And I love every second of that. And the performances yeah. are great. And these guys wrote all their own songs. Yeah. They played all their own instruments. You know, Harry Shearer playing bass and Christopher Guest and and Michael McKeon and all. And just the amazing, amazing. thing about that film, and uh, it's not like I noticed it the first 300 times I watched it, but, or, you know, explicitly, but it was pointed out to me. And it's, it's um, I think probably when there was, a, there was a criterion disc of it, and they had hours of outtakes. Oh, which were hilarious. Well, they only had 30 pages of script, but they, they cut anything. So they had these amazing scenes of like Bruno Kirby doing drugs with a band and all stuff. And they said, (laughs) but they cut any scene that wouldn't be in an actual documentary. Ah. So you never once violate that sense of, because that always happens in a mockumentary. There's always a scene that couldn't possibly be there that no one would allow to be there, that no one would allow cameras there, that no one would allow to be edited into the film. And every moment in Spinal Tap, feels like that band approved those scenes. Uh, well, so these are like the funniest guys in film, yeah. you know, and Rob Reiner, it was his first movie, right? Yeah. I think so. As, yeah, a, director. as a director. Were you at Afghan Embassy when they released that? Uh, right before they released it. Oh. Yeah. Did it bombed? I was there. I'm guessing it bombed, right? Uh, no, it didn't. <laughs> no, 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 it didn't bomb. It, did. okay. Okay. it, it didn't, didn't cost much. Yeah, it was. It was it, but it got bigger. It was pretty time, cheap. So. But it's one of those movies that obviously, you know, the more people saw it, the more yeah. they talked about it. And now it's legendary. Yeah. Uh, but at the time, it was a modest hit. Yeah. Yeah. yeah know, like every musician I've ever met has a copy of it on their bus. <laughs> but the songs are great. Yeah. And yeah. they're they're just as stupid as real ones would be, you know, yeah. that, that guys who aren't bright who think they are yeah. would write. And yeah. I, I, I love that about it. Yeah. And another mockumentary that I think is absolute genius is All You Need Is Catch, which is the oh, actual the title of The Rubbles. Yes. People yeah, yeah, always yeah. call it The Rubbles. Get up and go back home. The Ruttles story is a legend, a living legend, a legend that will live long after lots of other living legends have died. Tonight, we are extremely proud to present the semi-legendary life story of the Prefab Four, Dirk, Nasty, Sig, and Barry, who made the 60s what they are today, the fabulous Ruttles. It was done for NBC. Yep. And I remember when it first came on, I was thrilled about it. It was co-directed by Gary Weiss, who did all of the film pieces for the original Saturday Night, Saturday Night, Night Live, Live, and Eric Idle. They co-directed it. And it it's 
very inspired by a very specific Beatles documentary. It's perfect. Yeah. It's perfect. I mean, Mick Jagger's in it, Paul Simon's in it, George Harrison, who's being mocked in the film, yeah. played by an Indian actor. Right. right. <laughs> Ironically. Um, and everything in it is great. And it was, if you looked at the ratings, it was the very lowest rated network show the night that it aired. Uh, but it's that, that makes sense great. in some weird way, but yeah. but it's a it's, it's a really bad. funny movie, yeah. and it's funny because it's so accurate. They really did their homework on the the history of the Beatles, and you know Eric Idle basically plays Paul McCartney, and Dirk McQuickley is right. his name, and, and and he's all cutesy pie all the time, and yeah. but the songs were well, uh, Neil um, Neil Innes Neil from Innes, the Bonzo yeah. Dog Band, yes, did those and songs. Uh, just fantastic stuff. he's got a solo album called how sweet to be an idiot that's just brilliant oh yeah i've actually yes i've heard it's, it well he did the, he did a lot of the music for python on the tv all of show it. not just that but also the um holy grail he did all the songs that's right yeah. Python. Yeah, yeah did you see him with the ruddles at the cinematech I, I did not they actually played a concert did they do a show they God, did yeah. and it was amazing sure it was thrilling uh so you know you can't talk about rock and roll movies and 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 pass up the ruddles and you can't talk about the ruddles without you know talk the Beatles about Spinal Tap or the Beatles yeah didn't didn't I mean, they I see it's been a long time and I is that available anywhere I, I see wasn't there like a they go see an old blues man named Blind Lemon Jefferson oh yeah from <laughs> <laughs> yes. yep I, I love that but you know everything started with Hard Day's Night you know sure yeah that kind of change rock and roll movies were mostly made by old guys uh, albert zugsmith mm. with a, a hot band thrown into something really silly right or you know a, a really great movie that's the lamest squarest rock and roll movie ever made is uh, will success spoil rock hunter you know oh it's, love that just, film. it's a great film but yeah. what horrible horrible <laughs> rock and roll in it Whee! you know um Jane Mansfield and yeah. and all that stuff, but actually, it's the girl can't help it. Oh, the girl, the girl, oh, girl can't oh, help it. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. I, I'm, I'm, thank you, Joe. That's why you're here. That is why <laughs> Joe's here. That's, that's Joe knows everything. Yes, so, the girl um, can't help it is the rock and roll one. Yeah, and I think Frank Tashlin, Frank, Tashlin. Frank Tashlin's attitude toward rock and roll was somewhat jaundiced. <laughs> really? What a as, shock! As was his attitude about just about everything. Really? I, yeah, a lot of those guys. I remember watching some some clip show years ago, and it's uh, Steve Allen. Um, oh, God. just just you know, who was uh, very very funny. But well, just remember, he, he wrote "Who Put the Bomp in the Bomp to Bomp." Did he? Well, he he he, read, he took the lyrics of that song. Oh, okay. And he read it on his show as yes. a poem. <laughs> right? No, he and did so that. He read it. He read it straight. Right. Who put the bomb in the bomb to bomb bomb? <laughs> I mean, it, it's when you listen to it, it's it's hilarious. Well, he also yeah, and he did a he did that with seventy seven Sunset Strip too. Well, he, he 77 also wrote Sunset Strip. <laughs> but he did not like rock and roll. What's our age? Um, I have another one here, a popular song of the day, and I'm going to simply recite it for you, if I may, as a poem. Just drink in the simple beauty and the profundity of the sentiment. Be Bapalooba. <laughs> She's my baby. Be Bapalooba. I don't mean maybe. She's the one that's got the beat. She's the one with flying feet. 
but getting back to Hardy's, yeah, you're right. Yes. I mean, that 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 did change the entire uh, approach. Yeah, here it was, movies. 1963. And I remember, I, I don't know how old I was when I came out, but uh, I remember, first of all, kids were disappointed because it wasn't in color. Right. And then they were, there, there was a bit, there was an anti-Beatle feeling um, in in the suburbs on the pale on the part of young males, uh, right? Because girls liked them so girls like and it, this yes. was true of Elvis early on too that they just didn't like them because yeah. they, they, girls liked them. Oh, and they had long hair. Yeah, and and and, and 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 so they were perplexed by Hard Day's Night, which is let's face it, not a movie for stupid people. Oh, <laughs> it's so great. And uh, they, they were, everybody was happier that the next one was in color. I remember <laughs> Even that. the next one is just as crazy. In fact, is actually not even as good a movie, but not as good. No, but uh, it's awfully good. But it's got a it's lot fun. of stuff in it. It's yeah. Fun. Uh, but, but at least well, just well, that's that's energy. A yeah. Well, Richard Lester. I mean, they had a real director, great director, reinventing what rock music movies were. Yeah. And that wasn't his first rock movie. He had done its trad dad, right? right. Which is really traditional jazz yeah. stuff, which yeah. was. Uh, kind of Dixielandish. So the thing with Hard Day's Night that always knocks me out because movies turn into things in your memory no matter how many times you've seen them. Is every time I see it, it's electrifying. It it is not. You don't have to do any adjustment for the fact that it's an old film. There's no. It's not like it's slower paced for you know back when everyone was slow. I mean, it just it. Crackles. It's still crazy, you and know? I love seeing it with an audience any chance you can. And it's, they're all so funny. Yeah. And, and it's so, and the music brilliant. is so great. Music is amazing. When the downbeats come, I mean, it's like it's, it's just, you're off just off to the races. I mean, it's just yeah. a different kind of movie. Yeah, I mean, it has so much freshness and excitement. And one visual joke I didn't get when it came out, and I was a child, was uh, there on the train, and John Lennon takes a bottle of Coca Cola and puts it to his nose. And <laughs> right. <snorts>. And I, <laughs> And like it took me twenty years later. Oh, sure. hey, I get it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But that's after you'd been living in the dissolute environs of Hollywood. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, but I never partook. So that's the odd thing about having been in a band and been a director of horror movies and the like is, I've to this day never smoked a joint or even had a drink an alcoholic beverage. Just like Trump. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, such such people cannot be trusted. <laughs> <laughs> that's what um, I've heard. So uh, keep your distance, then. Fuck you. <laughs> But no, I was hoping I was hoping you'd mention that because I thought that one's such an obvious thing to put on an E list. I know, but and no, I was but, tempted but, not to. But, but you have to because it's have so to. fucking and there's four good. Beatle movies you have to put on there, and it's uh, Hard Day's Night and Help and Yellow Submarine, which really Yellow Submarine astonishing, good, yeah. and yeah. Yeah. I thought didn't hold up until I watched it not oh, no, long it ago, up. and it's still one of a kind. It's brilliant. It's great, and again, the music makes it happen, and then Let It Be is so tragic yeah. and so wonderful. And the music is great, but God damn it, it's Phil Spector producing it instead of, you know, George Martin. And it makes a difference, a big difference. But it's a great, the, the ultimate, you know, rock documentary documenting the end of the greatest band ever, yeah. you know. Hard it's, to find, though. It's, it's, uh, the rights were out there. They're only bootlegs. Yeah, available. they're only, you can sort of find it on the dark web. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, same place, you, same place you hire hitmen. You can, you can find. <laughs> <Right>. uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let it be. Um, I, 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 I can't quite go with you on help, but help does have the. Uh, um, it is literally my not just my first movie memory; it's my first memory is being in the 
the bathtub, we call it, of my parents' Volkswagen at a drive-in. Oh, my God. I was supposed God. to be asleep, and I was sitting there. Wow. And it was a double feature, and I still remember moments from both of those films, which helped me sort of piece it together years later. And, and the double feature was With um, the- Help, and the Russians are coming. The Russians are oh, coming. Oh, wow. Wow. And, and that's my, f- I can't, I, I was two, I guess. I, that was one of the, no the, early my memories. early movie-going memories, too, was, well, not as early as you. Yeah, you bought but, a ticket. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> Russians are coming. It went with the family. It was yeah. at the drive-in. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, the Reseda drive-in, probably. Ah, okay, was, yeah, I think we were in and the musicals. The, the musicals always sounded so much better on those drive-in speakers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like your AM car radio, yeah. If you were lucky, it sounded better. I mean, that's the great thing with a, with, a, with a good rock movie. At least you have, yeah, and the nice thing about seeing the good theater is at least you get the music. Although I I still remember a great heartbreak of uh, um, Under the Cherry Moon came out after I first oh, moved yeah. to L.A. And I was... I read these terrible reviews and I was like, I don't care. I just want to go hear the new Prince album in this extraordinary, you know, in a Dolby theater and all the rest of it. The- oh, yeah. And then you get there and, and there's about three minutes of Prince music in the fucking uh, <laughs> Damn it. I've been robbed. <laughs> well, my, my first, I never got to go to first run movie theaters because, you know, we lived in the suburbs of San Diego or suburbs of LA. And, you know, it was a real treat to go to the Chinese, which I did maybe once in my childhood. We were out in the valley and there were four kids and we'd have to go to the drive-in because that's all my family could afford to do. So, but I saw A Hard Day's Night in a second-run theater uh, in San Diego, outside San Diego, the El Cajon Theater, which is where I saw most of my movies. The beloved of El, 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 yeah. On his trailers from hell commentaries, it always becomes the, the beloved, beloved El Cajon. El Cajon, which is Spanish. I've, I've heard it so often, I feel like I've been there myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, it's one of those theaters, it had a smoking room in back and a cry room in back. Oh, on, one yeah, on I remember those. Side. But um, I saw Hard Day's Night on a double bill with Flipper's Great Adventure. That glamorous star who just a year ago took the entertainment world by storm has gone Hollywood. Anything for publicity, like this latest escapade, swimming in public without any clothes on. Well, why not? Who has a better right? It's Flipper, that delightful denizen of the deep. Yes, Flipper and his pal Luke Halpin are together again. Flipper, you've got to help me. But something new has been added. An island all their own, far out at sea. Flipper, this is great. We're underwater cave. We couldn't have a better hiding place. It's a kind of adventure story that dreams are made of. The thrill dream of every red-blooded lad and his dad. Help them, Flipper. Tow them if you can. Women castaways of all things. But he's attacking us! It was so... Crowded and everybody was there for Hard Day's Night, and Flipper played first. Ugh. And so, at one point in the movie, in Flipper's Great Adventure, somebody mentions England, and three hundred eight, <laughs> you know, ten-year-old girls <laughs> scream. <laughs> All you had to say was England, and they were creaming their seats because That's of the hilarious. Beatles. No, it was Flipper's Great Adventure. It was a spinoff of the TV show. Is or? that the one with Pamela Franklin? I don't know. Well, I would remember if she were in it. But uh, so I don't. Flipper's think new so. adventure, I think it was called. Flipper's new adventure. That might have been it. I think it's. I don't know. That's I remember. I'm not, the up, hard on, days I'm not up on my Flipper movies, <laughs> unless <laughs> yeah. Pamela Franklin. Yeah, we, we got we got Joe. <laughs> we stumped Joe on that cinematic classic. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. 
Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, well, enough about Flipper. What, what's enough next on your list there? So. Uh, let's see. <laughs> More recently, the boat that rocked. In 1966, Britain was terrorized by a boat that rocked. Radio Rock, the greatest station in the world. Pirate Radio. They are the sewer of no morals. Welcome to the Boat of Love. <laughs> From Richard Curtis, creator of Notting Hill, Four Weddings and a Funeral, and Love Actually. Welcome to our world. Which I saw in England, I had no idea what it was. Oh, the, the Pirate Radio one. The pi- it was released here as Pirate Radio. Yeah, right, short, 25 minutes. But they cut, cut the shit out of it, right? Yeah. 25 minutes Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cut. And Richard Curtis wrote and directed it, and it's obviously a love letter. But pirate- a love actually letter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love <laughs> Bingo. Which, by uh, the way, I was, I was if you like the only good thing in Love Actually, and yes, I said it, uh, which is Bill Nye. That's the first time I ever saw Bill Nye in Love Actually. Oh. Was it was in Love Actually, oh. and I, I she was doing doing a a fine riff on the character he plays in Still Crazy. Which, right. if you liked the five minutes he's in Love Actually, you will love Still. Why don't we just make this all about Bill Nye? Bill Nye, I, yeah. And, you know he is so great. He's that great. science guy, yeah. Let's bring. Oh him yeah. <laughs> but anyway, sorry, I could just so the the no, yes, no, the, boat the, the, the rock. Have you seen it? I've I I've unfortunately I've seen the American version before radio. I knew it had yeah. been cut. And um, well, it's about you know in in the UK, um, all of the radio broadcasts were were through the through the government through the BBC whatever and right. everything. They kind of outlawed rock and roll. They they had one night a week that they could play rock and roll music on the BBC radio. And so they had pirate radio. There was a, a boat 20 oh, miles sure. offshore yeah. so that they could legally play whatever they want and you could receive the signal anywhere in the UK or a, a lot of Europe. And so they had these wild, you know, drug-fueled, DJs and guests and all these people who would be on this boat with this radio station. And the movie is fantastic. Again, there's songs by Jeff Lynne and all these great people doing great music. And it's set in the 60s. And the nostalgia is great. But Richard Curtis was obviously so excited to make this movie. Every scene in it just feels like everybody's in love with this movie. And if you haven't seen... Well, if you haven't seen either version, don't see Pilot Radio, Pirate Radio. See the British. See the the British one, the boat that rocked. And I just happened to go see it. It sounded interesting when I was in London once, and uh, and it just it just blew me away. And of course, Bill Nye, anything he does is worth seeing. Girl on the Bridge, whatever. Yeah. But um, okay, we got to get to movies you guys have seen. Too. <laughs> no, no, that's not that one. Yeah, we 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 could we could just. Yeah. Do that on our own. That's a... <laughs> Joe, 10 movies you've seen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, can you think of that? Man? We're going to end up we're going to end up doing that some week when somebody shines us on doesn't yeah, show well, up. Yeah. When it's just the rest I'll, of us. I'll just, have, I'll just have Joe tell, yeah. talk about his 10 favorite movies that Oh, he's if anybody seen, can uh, ad lib about uh, it, it's you guys. <laughs> yeah. 
and but well, head. You know we love to please A manufactured image with no philosophies We hope you like our story Although there isn't one That is to say there's many That way there is more fun You told us you like action And games of many kinds You like to dance We like to sing So let's all lose our minds We know it doesn't matter Because what you came to see Is what we'd love to give you And give it one, two, three Like it may come feature one, two Or jump from nine to five And when you see the end in sight The beginning may arrive For those who look for meanings Inform as they do fact We might tell you one thing But we'd only tell Take it back. Not back like in a box back. Not back like in a race. Not back so we can keep it, but back in time and space. You say we're manufactured. To that we all agree. So make your choice and we'll rejoice in never being free. Hey, hey, we are the monkeys. We've said it all before. The money's in. We're made of tin. We're here to give you more. The money's in. We're made of tin. We're here to give you more. Oh, yeah, sure. Okay. Yep. The monkeys were a prefab for. Yep. Uh, um, and, you know, they were created for TV. They were hugely popular for one season. They did a second season, and they were dead in the water. Jackie Cooper was one of the executives at the studio that made this show. And uh, I remember talking to him because I worked with his son at Tower Records in, in uh, Westwood for a while, which was a great place for rock and roll people to come in all the time. And the like. But... Um, but the monkeys, you know, I loved them at the time. I was a child when they were on. But they made a movie, which Jack Nicholson co-wrote with right. Bob Rafelson, who directed it, called Head. And it mocked everything about them. It was incredibly hip and smart and cynical. And Frank Zappa has a, a cameo in it, walking with a, a, a cow or a bull or something. Ringo Starr is in it. And it completely makes fun of what they were. And it was really bold and brave and a theatrical movie and nobody saw it. Right. And nobody got it. But and I again I think that's one you can't track down, isn't it? No, no, well, there's there's a no, blue it's, it's around. Oh really? Oh, yeah. It's around. Yeah, the, it's the, 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 the problem with that movie was that the advertising for it was so bad. Yeah. The, and I think it was the filmmaker's choice. They had a poster with some guy you'd never seen before with a sh- close cropped shaved head staring at the the, the lamb, yeah. and, and it's his head, head. Yeah, and that was it. You know, yeah, minus no, the monkeys. It, but, <laughs> yeah. it, but, but they were, and it, they were over. It, they were over, and I think they were afraid. Well, they won't put the monkeys on there. Nobody will come. <laughs> you know, so now, well, that's all we got is monkeys. You know, right? So uh, it was an experimental film made for Columbia Pictures because that's where their deal was, uh, and Columbia obviously had no idea how to sell it or what to do with it, and uh, it. It was not not a success. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Critical uh, or financial? No, it was you know, and 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 it was a very hard movie to see for a while, for a long time. But uh, because of a voice and heart, I think who wrote a lot of the right. monkey songs that were that were really good. Uh, they their people started to sort of come around with oh, these guys. You know, once they once they've been doing this for a little while, they they learned to play the instruments and they learned yeah. how to sing and the, and, the, and the, some of the stuff is 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 pretty good. And so, uh, in in the long retrospect that's gone on, uh, the movie has not exactly found an audience, but at least it's it's found a certain number of people who appreciate it. It's known yeah. and appreciated. Yeah, uh, I was just but, saying. There's a there's a uh, yeah criterion. I don't know if it comes if you can get it on its own, but um, the the Bert, the BBS story, Bert Schneider, uh, oh, box oh, set. That's and it's, right. Uh, head Easy Rider, five easy pieces. 
Drive, he said, last picture show, King of Marvel Gardens, and a safe place. Wow, that's a good well, package. It's a, a good safe. package, except how many of them actually made me money. Yeah. <laughs> One. Yeah. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> but what the hell? Joe, sometimes movies that don't make money are good, Joe. I've never heard of this. <laughs> no, no. I don't know any I'm, of those. Uh, yeah. I'm actually, I think I'm showing my wife matinee tonight. So. Oh, really? She's never seen it. Speaking, Speaking of, really? of obviously Speaking of terrible films. Money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it mustn't be any good. Yeah, I don't I'm, don't know where that happened. I, I mean, there were a lot of uh, uh, a lot of documentaries. You know, sure. Woodstock is obviously the king of those, and Marty Scorsese being one of the editors yeah, of it yeah. and all that. Well, and you know, the Stop Making Sense and the Last Waltz and yeah, all, all those it, it, those so kind of pictures. So, but yeah. those, those are more or less concert films. Yeah, even Woodstock is a concert yeah. film. Yeah, it's a concert film. More, it, but Woodstock was the first one that was a huge success. Well, I mean, it was also the first one that was a huge event. Right. You know, there was a lot more than just the music. To well, document. peace and music, 1969. Yeah. And then Michael Wadley, uh, you know. Well, he did the Wolfen. He did Wolfen, which I remember going to see that uh, at uh, in Westwood, the Pickwood. And you and Mike were there. <laughs> oh, checking out the competition. Exactly. It was the time of the howling. And, That's right. Yeah, there were. But that, that, was, that, that picture, was sort of the third. But that picture was taken away from him. Uh, yeah. And uh, a lot of it was reshot by John Hancock. Oh, is that who did yeah. really? And um, it, it was just another case where the people who were making the movie were not on the same page as the people who were financing the movie. And, oh, and no. he took a long time in the editing room, like a year. Yeah. And, and after a year, they just said, We're done. <laughs> said, We're done. You're <laughs> out of here. <laughs> well, it's and, they, and they brought in uh, Hancock, who did some reshoots and a lot it's of, actually good. Lot of dubbing. It's an, well, it's an interesting story, it's an interesting book, actually. Yeah. Yeah, Wolf, I, I like the movie Wolfen. Yeah, we're, we're at Woodstock. I mean, yeah. The, um, well, yeah, Michael yeah, Wadley right. also did Nasty <laughs> Habits, right? Glenda Jackson. Oh, so, did he the Watergate I, Nun movie? I think he did. No, I'm consulting my pocket. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, we, we I, instantaneous. I think I've seen Woodstock all the way through once. It's, it's, uh, it's. Uh, you had to be there. <laughs> Charlton Heston watches it every night in a meeting. Uh, that is one of my favorite scenes of <laughs> That's any movie. Right. That's right. Charlton Heston lip syncing with Woodstock oh, uh, God. in Omega Man. Um, uh, Michael Lindsay Hogg. Oh, I Michael Lindsay Hogg. That's right. Who, I get it. He did some rock and roll movies. He did. He? he did. I'm trying. Oh, well, he, did he do Let It Be? Uh, yes, I think. Oh, yes, yeah, he, he did. did. Yes. That's why I confused them. Yeah. Ha! An excuse, eh? Okay, yeah, yes. I have one, and I'll pull it out, damn it. <laughs> but um, It's one of our more linear shows. <laughs> way too linear, you know, and I don't want to talk about Ed Wood or anything, but... Uh, <laughs> oh, no, god damn it. Uh, it's Gurr. Yes. He just I never know. did any rock movies. Who is there was one person that didn't. Who was that? I can't remember. I who, probably shouldn't say. Who would have the temerity to come in here and not I talk don't. about Ed Wood? <laughs> I, I don't, and not talk about Ed Wood. <laughs> Um, but it has a rock and roll sensibility. <laughs> sure. Yeah, no, Ed Wood was definitely, he was a rock and roll cat, wasn't he? Yeah. You know, another underappreciated movie for me is Absolute Beginners. Oh, yeah. I yeah. love that film. Yeah. That's Julian Temple. Yes, who I love. And it's a British film, and it's a, mu a true musical about um, the Teddy Boys in the 50s. You know, yep. the, the, the equivalent to our greasers and, yeah. you know, that, that kind of, those days. And the music is spectacular. Who was it? Uh, there's a big band guy who did the score. But the songs, 
There, David Bowie has a piece yeah. in there and does a song in there that's just fantastic. And Ray Davies of the Kinks does one of my favorite parts. A Quiet Life is the name of the song and the performance. But it's a real musical, like with fake musical yeah. sets and everything. And it, it's just... Beautiful color. Oh, the colors are fantastic. And it's really well done. And it was... They hated it in the UK. And they never heard of it in the US. It, it came... It was Patsy Kensett's first yeah. film of note, I think. And she's great in it. But it has so much energy. And I don't know anybody who knows of that movie or... Really? I, it's so funny. We all live in these bubbles, I guess, to me. Yeah. It's like, I, I didn't know it didn't do well here. I'm like... I, Oh. Everyone knows absolute beginners. All my friends do. Nobody <laughs> saw it, especially wow. in a theater. Yeah. But I remember the surround sound mix on that was just fantastic. A Dolby mix that wasn't that a quad mix? I think it probably <laughs> was. I think it probably uh, anybody was. remember quad mix? Quad <laughs> no. <laughs> well, it's just the same except without a center channel. <laughs> you know? That's why. Yeah, I remember it too because I I, uh, I was a huge fan of of uh, Julian Temple's guy who they brought in after the Sex Pistols had made about five different attempts to make a movie. Right, the great. And they rock just and roll they just swindle. gave him a yeah. big hefty bag full of footage and he cut it into a movie, The Great Rock and Roll Swindle. But he was a which I love. He was a big music video director yeah, at the yes, time. Yep. And that's always something, you know, I've only done one music video, but it was the most expensive music video of all time. Yeah, you did for it was some obscure band, right? Some Yeah, uh, who it was, was that, uh, uh, Michael Jackson. Oh, yeah, that guy. Yeah. <laughs> Aside from having been one of the dance, Cynthia and I were both zombies in Thriller uh for Landis uh and and so uh, still have those costumes and everything, Fantastic. although all the others were destroyed. Um, but we started something called Ghosts. Um, and originally it was going to be uh, to promote Adam's Family Values. Mm. And it was going to be the end title song. And we were shooting for two weeks and had still not gotten to the music number because when you shoot on Michael time, <laughs> it's not the same as what your clock says. Or is it that anything like hammer time? <laughs> I don't think it's anywhere near that. Uh, but it was one of the best experiences of my life doing this thing called Ghosts. But we were working for a couple of weeks and then, you know, the Michael just disappeared. We didn't know what happened. And uh, next thing we heard was the, the scandal that, that happened at the time. And uh, so everything shut down. And it was bizarre. We were shooting... We built these giant sets, and it was spectacular. And, you know, Michael was fantastic to work with and deal with, and um, then it just gone. And I, I don't know what's true and what's not true. The Michael I know and worked with and his children and everything were amazing, wonderful, generous generous guy, an amazing talent, the most talented human being I've probably ever met. Um, it's ironic having been in a band and been so involved in music, never to have done any music videos yeah. except this one. And it shut down for three years and, and Michael would call me at midnight at night, you know, Mick, you gotta do it. You gotta believe it's going to be fantastic. It's really going to be great. And so I know Michael, but I'm ready to shoot the shining and it has a scheduled start <laughs> date and your dates are kind of flexible. And this was three years after we shut down. And I, I told him, you know, uh, Stan Winston had done all the makeup and he and Jim Cameron owned Digital Domain and they mm -hmm. did all the visual effects as well as Stan doing the makeup effects. 
And Stan had directed Pumpkinhead, which is really a well-made movie. And I said to Michael, look, Stan's one of your best friends. Why don't you have him direct it? And that's what they ended up doing. Mm. But um, that was an amazing experience. You know, to, to go in having the resources to say, I'd like to build this and shoot this and do it was something I'd never experienced before. And never will or again. Since. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. It's Whatever true. you want. It's true. And so having that kind of sneak peek into that experience um, was incredible. And to have musical numbers, I'd never shot musical numbers before. And we rehearsed them and we worked them out. And, and uh, you know, I'd worked out the shots and all of that stuff. We never got around to shooting that. Stan did that three years later. Mm. Um, and now neither of them are around. But that was a $15 million 34 minute rock video. Jesus Christ. And originally, <laughs> those, were was, those were the days. <laughs> originally, it was $7 million out of Michael's pocket because, you know, they were making it for Paramount and Scott Rudin was producer on, on Adam's Family Values. And, and so they were producing this video. And then Michael went radioactive and Adam's Family Values were not the same values as Michael Jackson values <laughs> at that time. So, Everything kind of changed, but Michael loved it so much that he wanted it to happen. And he was a very funny guy. I mean, I remember picking up the phone one day and I'd go, uh, Mick Garris, please. And I said, This is Mick. Gotcha. You know? <laughs> <laughs> he could do great voices and everything. And I think it was his idea to then, when they came back and reshot and did everything, he played all those different characters mm. with all the Rick Baker makeup. So there's a little more rock and roll. Yeah, no, exactly, exactly. Your turn. So, yeah, what's uh, next? Do what I do need to look at my yes, list? Absolute okay. beginners. Let's see. Beatles, Beatles, Beatles. Both that rock. Hold on. Okay. Hold on. Hold on. Oh, that's a title? I thought you were... Yes. I thought you were about Herman's to drop a bomb on us. Hermit. Yes! What? Hold on with all my mind A love like hers is very hard to find Hold on, hold on Herman's Hermits. They're in orbit. The first Astro Swingers. I'm leaning on my lamppost at the corner of the street in case a certain little lady comes by. She's a must to avoid a complete impossibility. Girls, girls, millions of girls. But there's nothing like having just one for your own. Make me happy. Herman's Hermits. Is that even Hold rock on. and roll? I, yeah. saw, I saw that picture uh, on a double bill with a picture called Maya with Jay North, which is an Indian yes. movie with elephants. Uh, oh, I remember the commercial. For I remember that. the Jay North movie because, with elephants. Well, hold on, hold on. Was <laughs> the I think the second Herman Hermit movies. I think the other one there was Mrs. Brown. Got yeah, Mrs. Got Brown, my daughter. Yeah, uh, but the movie wasn't around them. The Mrs. Brown. I know that. So no, this was this but was this them. Was, yeah, uh, this was Albert Zugs. This was there. No, no, it wasn't. It was. Um, yeah, he did it produce a, it. Was, it was MGM. I thought it was MGM. Oh, that's right. He had a deal at him. But Lubin directed it. Arthur, Arthur Lubin, Lubin. Yes. Yeah. Um, who is better uh, equipped to direct Talking Mules. <laughs> ouch! Well, ouch! He did the Talking Mules and he did the Talking Horse. He did, that's right, he, Francis. He, he made all his money from um, Mr. Ed. Joe Dante doing his Rex Reed impression. <laughs> no! I, he, he, he did some of my favorite Abbott Costello movies. He yeah. did Hold That Ghost, which is one probably the best one. Um, but 
uh, Hold On is not. Uh, it's not a great movie. But well, it's the first time Joe's ever corrected anybody. <laughs> <laughs> that movie does not belong on your list, Mick. I'm sorry. Uh, you're, yeah, you're gonna... 1966. <laughs> so I was literally a child when I saw that movie at the El Cajon Theater. I... But it's memorable. And It's uh, like if you took a 60s Elvis movie and cut Elvis out of it. It's like, like <laughs> clam bake without Elvis. Elvis. Would be yeah. what was left. <laughs> but, yeah, Maya. That's and... kind of like what Herman's Hermits were, right? Is they were Elvis without Elvis. Yeah, well, but, you the know. Jordan <laughs> <laughs> the Jordanaires. The Jordanaires. Peter Noon. <laughs> still has a show on XM, and it's great. Well, he was a very appealing kid. Yeah. I mean, I, I, people yeah. liked him, and the songs were cute. And, they were, you know, it was fine. I mean, they were inoffensive. Yeah. But, you know, a, a whole 90 minutes of them I, I, going to the Cavorting. moon. Going to the moon or whatever <laughs> yeah. the plot was. There's something about a rocket ship. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I do remember it was in the, the widest cinemascope I had seen. Wow. In this local theater that had just been built. In Parsippany, New Jersey, and wow. both both pictures were in widescreen. I thought, boy, these screens Didn't, are really um, wide. This is not like home at all. Paul Revere and the Raiders do a movie. I feel like I. Well, they were the hosts of Where the Action Is, which was an afternoon rock show but on ABC. They, but didn't they do a movie? What am I thinking of? Where they travel around the world meeting uh, girls? Well, Freddie and the Dreamers did Ferry Cross the Mersey. Right? Maybe no, I'm that thinking. was Jerry and the Pacemakers. Oh, Jerry. Maybe. <laughs> so what did Freddie and the Freddie Dreamers and do? the Dreamers did? I'm telling you now. I don't think they did a movie. But, <laughs> I think they did a movie. But Jerry and the Pacemakers. I'm did telling Ferry you, in my day, you didn't fiddle around with this rock and roll <laughs> malarkey. <laughs> uh, you kids today with your twist music and your dancing apart. <laughs> a bunch of old farts talking about Jerry and the pacemaker. let's make sure the Jerry the pacemaker fan club hears about this episode uh, Jerry and the pacemakers were actually really good Jerry Marsden no, was a great singer now. no I you, you asked me here hey <laughs> what's next Chad and Jeremy yeah <laughs> well Peter and Gordon were better but uh, <laughs> and Gordon, remember they played the 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 red coats on Dick Van Dyke, yes, yeah, yes. <laughs> they were oh, a real that band. Was Jeremy or, no, it was Peter and Gordon. They Peter played the red coats. Yeah. yeah, I thought they were a fake TV band. No, yeah. but seriously, Jerry Marsden was a magnificent singer in Jerry and the Pacemakers, uh, and Ferry Cross the Mersey is a great song. That's it's. I will give it that. that is, it is an anthem. Yep. It's an anthem. Yep. So um, so there's a dozen movies or so. Let's see. Do I have anything else on there? Nothing else. No. Well. No ring-a-ding rhythm? Oh, gosh, I missed that one somehow. Well, what were the rock and roll movies you liked? I don't know, like anything post-1970 there? We, uh... <laughs> Most of these, yes. <laughs> okay, all right. Uh, Come on. Uh, no, I was holding down for Quadrophenia. I was hoping Well, Quadrophenia is on my uh... list as well. But, but you just said nothing's left on your list. You know, I, I missed it. It was right oh. after Woodstock. Uh, uh, Quadrophenia is great. Quadrophenia is amazing. I, there's a movie I really want to make, and I've wanted to for years. And it's the story of Badfinger. Uh, Badfinger was a band discovered by Paul McCartney mm -hmm. and produced by Paul McCartney and later by George Harrison and Todd. And Rumsfeld. which sounded in the uh, first time I heard them, which was on the soundtrack of The Magic Christian. Right. Uh, come and sounded, Get It. Was come and Get That's It, which right. sounded Sound like, the Beatles. like a Beatles song. Which was written by Paul McCartney. And if you listen yeah. to Come and Get It on the uh, anthology, the Beatles anthology album, it sounds like all of the tracks are the same, and they only had Pete Ham replace the vocals hmm. from Badfinger. Hmm. But they were, it's a very tragic story. Badfinger was a great band, and they had a, a manager who totally fucked them over, never paid the money. They had three number one singles, and they're touring America in a school bus, touring in a school bus and sleeping 
like in church basements mm. and eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches because nobody would pay them. They were on the Beatles label, Apple. They were the I, first act signed. I still, because as a kid, I had, I think my sister had the, um, uh, the concert for Bangladesh album. Ah, and yeah. The first time I ever heard of it was George set, Harrison. Yeah. Going, no, we've got an Apple band, Badfinger. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Never heard of it. Well, they, they were the first ones and, and they did, uh, come and get it, which was the theme for Magic Christian. Mm -hmm. And their first album is called Magic Christian Music. Now, Magic Christian is worth talking about just because of, of that as well. And because Ringo Starr is one of the stars of it, as he was in Candy, and a very good actor. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Of all of the Beatles. I, I, I think just saw was... Blind Man. Have you ever seen uh, No. Oh, the, yeah. The, the Tony Anthony Western where Ringo Starr was no. his first movie. It was right after really? his first non Beatles movie, obviously. Right. Um, do you know this film, John? Oh, yeah. Oh, and, and it was right after the Beatles had broken up, and apparently the, the, the quote-unquote filmmaker, Tony Anthony, had sat in <laughs> with uh, with Ringo and got him into, and he plays this Mexican bandito, and he's he's pretty good at it. Really? Yeah, the sort movie's like kind of... Well, he played the Mexican gardener in Candy. That's right, yeah. yeah. So yeah. maybe that was a back, specialty. Back when those things weren't racist yeah, at all. Yeah, it was a specialty. <laughs> <laughs> nothing, nothing awful. But Badfinger was sort of the next Beatles. Everybody thought of them right. that way. They sounded like them. Their songs were fantastic. I interviewed them a couple of times. But two of them, first Pete Ham, uh, and then later uh, Evans, um, I'm blanking on his first name, hung themselves. Pete Ham Separately. was the songwriter. He looked like Lennon, but sounded like McCartney. And I, I saw them at the whiskey they played there. They're a fantastic band, four pieces, same setup as, as the Beatles. But Pete Ham, their primary songwriter and all, very sensitive artist type guy, oh. hung himself and pinned a note to himself blaming their manager. Oh, Jesus. Five years later, I mean, I understand that Tom Evans, urge. How sad yeah. it, but it's no, the that part was where you it. Kill yourself. They had, they were hugely <laughs> successful. Had hit record after hit record, and never saw any of that money. And one of their songs, they recorded, but it was not successful by them. But then Harry Nilsson did it, the song "Without You," mm. you know, which all these soaring voices yeah. and just fantastic. And, and then Mariah Carey did a hit of it as well. So eventually the ending was the surviving two guys mm. finally got the money from the band's income. But, um, there's only one of them left now. The three of the guys have, two of the guys took their own lives. One of them passed away, uh, cancer. And now only Joey Molland remains and he is touring Joey Molland of bad finger. Bad finger. So, but how did we get to that? From, a typical rock and roll story from Quadrophenia. Yeah, but that's a movie because, for you kids out there yeah, who are yeah. contemplating a career. How, how did Quadrophenia end up bad fingers? Okay, cool. Well, because so I was hoping you'd do Quadrophenia. That was kind of my pitch when I was trying to get it around. Was Quadrophenia? Oh, I see. Uh, it takes place at the same time. You know, they started in the '60s. It right. was like '67, '68. So Quadrophenia is a little earlier. That really takes place in '63, '64. Mm -hmm. But you know, that started as a concept album. Yeah. By the Who, uh, you know, Peter Townsend, of course, wrote everything. Uh, and and Tommy had already been a big rock opera that was also a two-record set. Quadrophenia is so much better than Tommy. Well, oh. you have to take into account I can prove that with time. a calculator. <laughs> you can prove it by your age. <laughs> well, okay, <fine>. so, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there are there's a lot to be said for you had to be there. Oh, absolutely. And 
Tommy was groundbreaking. Nobody had ever done a theme album before in rock and roll. And this was, it truly was a rock opera. And that was a concept that had never been done before. And Quadrophenia is great and technically amazing sound recording and everything. But that whole era of 60s London rock and roll and everything, Quadrophenia, Frank Rodham directed that. And you know, it's a brilliant film. I don't know what happened to him. I don't think he is he still with He's us. He's done one or two. Well, um, he did the bride, right? And right, he right. that's what happened to him. Yeah, <laughs> uh, seriously, it was a major. It was a career ender. Yeah. But Quadrophenia was really fresh, and so explosive, and and the music worked so well, and it was really, you know, even when it wasn't fighting violence mm-hmm. it had a violent spirit to yeah. it and it was anarchic and i i thought it was brilliantly made and again finally you know at a time where you could appreciate the music in dolby sound Ugh. at that because when i was a kid rock and roll movies were just on one yeah, mono. speaker sure. in the behind the screen you know and uh you know finally seeing rock and roll like absolute beginners and and quadrophenia and wood well, okay, we uh, we almost passed over the wall. Pink Floyd's The Wall. Uh, that movie, <laughs> the Man National Theater, it had its first screening at the Man National, which is not there anymore. It was thought of as the Big Brown Whale. It's where right. The Exorcist had its premiere and all that. Um, I went to the first screening of The Wall there, and this is in the days of Dolby Stereo, yeah. and the curtain opened, and you heard... The Dolby was on. That's how loud it was. <laughs> when the first guitar chord hit, my ears were bleeding. It was, to this day, louder than any concert I've Fantastic. been to. And it was amazing. But that that's another uh, underrated animated film that is really original. has kind of a Ralph Steadman look yeah, to it, yeah, that, the design that, to it, yeah. and, and just really beautiful stuff. Because I know what well, you wanted to, uh, when I was a kid, I thought I would make cartoons. I would draw. I drew. My father had been an art student and a very accomplished artist, but never made a living at it. Ended up becoming a realtor and you know making money after my parents were divorced. And um, but I thought I'd make cartoons. I really wanted to make animated films. And so every now and then something like that would come up and I would fall in love with it all over again. Animation and rock and roll. I mean, Yellow Submarine has never been imitated, even though it was made by Al Brodax, produced it, who did the terrible Beatles cartoon series. Just really awful limited animation. This had limited animation, but you wouldn't notice it because it felt like part of the design. It it felt Mm -hmm. like the early, you know, the 1960s Czech, Science well, fiction, it's Jules also, Verne. It's also movies. very Peter Max. Very yeah. Peter Max. Very Peter Max. And of its day, but it still holds up. You look at it, and they did a remix, and the music sounds great, just like they did with Hard Day's Night. Yeah. You know, you hear that in stereo now. And when the, uh, oh, you're not doing the no. ring anymore. <laughs> I learned my lesson on a couple of Oh, no, we love that. It's the best part of every show. <laughs> That's how my phone rings. But that first crashing chord in a hard day's night, you know, that suspended no. minor, whatever it is, it just, when you hear that in sterling stereo crystal Dolby sound, yeah. it's thrilling. It it's thrilling. Yep. And that's, 
when you can catch the lightning in a bottle that is rock and roll on film or digital media, it, it's so rare that they connect where cinema and music, rock and roll music connect is so rare that when it happens, it's a time to celebrate. Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't know. I, I'm not as much into music as I used to be. And so that doesn't happen to me much, but you still are. So what, what have you seen recently that it does that for you, Josh? Recently? I, I Going into know. my interview. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I, I was sitting here. Yeah. I was hoping you'd bring a quadrophenia because I love that. And, uh, uh, yeah, but that's a long time ago. Yeah, it's a long time ago. I mean, there's moments, it's not a, you know, it's, it's a documentary, but there's that uh, guitar doc, what is it? It might get loud. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which I, which I really love. There, there's a couple yeah. moments in there. It's, it's, I mean, it's, it's The Edge, who is the first to tell you he's a really bad guitar player, but it's all about, you know, and he plays a couple of his, have you seen it, Joe? He, he plays a couple of signature Edge uh, riffs without doing any of his kind of hocus pocus with it. And right. he's right. It's just like, down, 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 down. and then he does whatever he does. And you're like, there it is, man. It's that sound. And it's amazing. And it's not about being Ingwie Malmsteen. It's about playing rock and roll. And he's right. Like, there's uh, another scene in it where Jack Black builds a guitar out of just spare crap. That's lying around the house, like oh. a shoebox. And, but my favorite moment in that movie, and it's kind of, a, it is a real rock and roll mo moment. And I am not, I think I've said on the show before, and, and uh, uh, but I, 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 I do not love Led Zeppelin. I, I just don't. <laughs> I, I, wrong time, wrong place, wrong fans, yeah. something. I mean, I can put together a compilation album of great Led Zeppelin songs. I've gotten to that right. part. And, um, but, a mixtape for your gal? That's right. <laughs> yeah. uh, but there is a scene in it that you just can't ignore where it's Jimmy Page. Say what you will about him is easily one he's of the great. He's an amazing Yeah, guitar. he's a guitar yeah. guy. I don't have to like him for him to be, you know. And he sits there and he puts on this. He thinks the world of you. I, yeah, he sends me fan mail. The, um, he puts on this crack, crackly 45 of Link Ray Rumble. And you realize that at whatever he is, 112, <laughs> as he sits there and listens to it, that Jimmy Page is still trying to crack the code. Wow. That's this amazing mind. He's just wow. sitting there and you can see the 12-year-old that first heard this record or whatever he was. And it's, it's a beautiful moment. Um, it's a really great documentary. Have you ever seen the Beatles at Shea Stadium? Yeah, I had the the yeah, yeah. That was a feature. They released yeah. it as a feature. They shot it on thirty five millimeter in color and everything. That's great because people don't realize they really were a great band good, live yeah. too. Yeah. They didn't have to be in the studio with George Martin to be fantastic. Well, they didn't have to be live either because no one could hear them. But they <laughs> were. Yeah, I, just, I wonder how many people could actually hear them. But yeah. but if you see that movie, you can hear them. Yeah. And and it's great. Bill Malone is a huge huge Beatles fan. In fact. In um, the Bob Zemeckis movie, I Want to Hold Your Hand. Oh, sure. Bill is George Harrison in it. Oh, fun. And <laughs> that was like a dream of his. He's wearing one of the Chesterfield suits and playing on Ed Sullivan. <laughs> it's great. Well, that's a movie, even though it's not literally a rock yeah, and roll it's movie. it's a rock and roll movie. It's yeah. a, Bob Zemeckis's first movie. Yeah. And I love that film. And talk about energy. Yeah. And just about these kids going to New York City to see the Beatles play on Ed Sullivan because they hear the Beatles are coming to town. And Zemeckis captured it so beautifully and so wonderfully. Again, I was a child watching the Ed Sullivan show when they happened. Oh, wow. And to actually have been there, you know, anybody who had anything to do with music was influenced by the Beatles. Right. They recreated what was, you know, people doing songs out of, you know, the the Brill Building or something. Uh, you know, they were writing and performing their own songs and the like. 
and the the excitement at that time. I remember in school, all the boys the next day combed parted their hair on the opposite side because it was longer that way, <laughs> and so that was the kind of influence. And and I want to see that happen in a movie again. Yeah, I haven't seen that since the boat that rocked was the last one that really excited me in that way. What about you, Joe? What about me? <laughs> but, I mean, have you seen anything in the last few years that that's like rock and roll oriented that got to you? I can't say that I have. <laughs> uh, we and of course, you know, my God, how do we not even if you're going to talk about? Uh, I think I think this would this, this would come up anyway. Where certain parties not here, but my God, um, uh, you worked on a movie with uh, uh, obscure little rock and roll band many years ago. Oh, those Did you? Guys? <laughs> yeah. It's 1980. Welcome to Rock and Roll High School. Rock and Roll High School? Do you want to Well, you did second unit on that, right? Well, I did second unit for one day, and then I did more than that after a while because Alan got sick. But um, it, it, it's, it's, it's hard to believe that they wanted to make that movie with The Clash. Uh, oh, wow. And, or, oh. or almost anybody. I'd, I'd have loved that Roger movie. just wanted a rock and roll movie. <laughs> right, First, right. He, he wanted to call it Disco High. And then Alan, Alan Arkish had to talk him out of Thank you, Alan. <laughs> Disco is not really what you want to do, Roger. Uh, and, you know, it was Alan's dream to make a rock and roll movie. And the Ramones were uh, gettable. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they weren't known for hit records. <laughs> uh, but also they were, uh, the movie would not be... Uh, remembered today if the Ramones weren't in. Not that I'm not saying it's not a good movie. I'm just saying that the the, the Ramones were everything that your parents had warned you against. Well, it's also, it's a perfect fit. Yeah. I mean, the Clash were more serious and more political and, you know, I, I, I would love it if the Clash were in it, but it would not be, but it's a well, it perfect wouldn't be the fit. Same movie, but yeah, the Ramones yeah. wouldn't be the Ramones and, and on yeah. t-shirts worn by 15 year olds now, if not for rock and roll. Well, it's, it's, really, so the it's their, own, it's their only movie. I mean, yeah. it's, uh, that, except for various footage and in, in, in concert. You movies, only so. need one, man. Uh, yeah. But they, and they were exactly like they looked like they were. Yeah. I mean, they were, uh, it, it, it was, it was a, 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 a mitzvah. <laughs> <laughs> that these guys ended up in this picture because uh, they're just they just go together like bread and butter. Yeah, and uh, and to see um, PJ Souls, you know, rocking out to <laughs> Joey Ramone uh, is you know it's in the great tradition of Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> <laughs> I still remember a, a woman I knew who um, knew them, and I asked her once what they were like, and she said wistfully, and I can't do her delivery justice. She said. Joey Ramone had fleas. And, and she meant that as, <laughs> she was saying it wistfully. <laughs> wow. How do you mention fleas wistfully? Um, well, it's, you know, there, there wasn't a lot of clothes changing. Going yeah. <laughs> well, did he only have that one black leather jacket and he, the, he, those the, jeans? I think that, I think the, I think the shoes became part of his actual feet. <laughs> they grew together. Mm. Uh, yeah, that's that's a great. That is a truly great. Well, one of my favorite things, you know, I, I was a big fan of the Kinks, and like I had mentioned, Ray Davies uh, in Absolute Beginners doing the song uh, "Quiet Life." My band opened for the Kinks once. Oh wow! And so that was a real high point. And Ray Davies to me is one of the songwriting rock and roll gods. Yes, absolutely. and singers and all of that. So 
they were watching us do our sound check, or Ray was, and he's just leaning against the wall, and he's watching and listening to my band as we're preparing to open for them. And it was so thrilling. Finally, I kind of girded my courage after we were done. He's just kind of standing against the wall, and I slowly started walking towards him. Just, you know, I was just put my finger out, and I was going to say, you've made so much difference to me. You meant so much, mean so much to me as a musician. But before I could even get a word out, he turned and walked the other way. Uh, so I was well, he knew. <laughs> he knew, it's and he didn't if, want to hear it again. It's <laughs> as if you had asked him. <laughs> it's almost as if. Um, well, maybe that's our excuse to turn and walk away from you now, Mick. Well, <laughs> thank you. I'm used to it. <laughs> we're going to turn and walk away from Mick Harrison. Uh, thank Thanks, you for Mick. coming out. Man. It's, oh, it's uh, a blast. Thank you guys for inviting me. Yeah. Yes. And um, uh, we'll be back next week with more fun, I hope. Well, we've got a few banks, so I can say that safely. <laughs> <laughs> there are some fun ones uh, besides this. That's right. We'll They're, all right. They're all fun. They're all fun. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, thank you for joining us. Always a blast. Our show is recorded in Hollywood, California, at crossroads of the world. We're the official podcast of TrailersFromHell.com, the best damn movie website there is. Our engineer is Don Barrett, who also wrote, produced, and created our theme song. This is Josh Olson for the Movies That Made Me. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts.